0: CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All.
1: Welcome to CIO
0: Talk Radio. To learn
1: more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. As always, uh, we invite you to join our discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTRLive, and look for this show as hashtag big data and hashtag security. Today's topic is big data, bigger security challenges, and our guest for today's show is uh, Dr. Roger Schell, who is a professor with the University of Southern California.
2: Good morning, Roger. How are you? Well, good morning. I'm real fine. Thank you.
1: Great. Now, the conversation about big data just seems to be, uh, you know, all over the place. And, and of course, it keeps going. And inevitably, it was going to involve security because we had not covered it to that degree. This is part of one of the two shows we will actually be doing on big data and security with uh, our show next week focusing on how you can use big data to improve security. But this week. We've discovered that in some instances, big data can open organizations up to even more vulnerabilities, and we would like to explore uh, what we can
2: do about it. Yes, I think that's certainly the case.
1: Think uh, where people are saying uh, how, how is this coming about as a notion that big data. As soon as you start talking about it, where is it actually making it more us more vulnerable, and what what type of uh, security issues is it uh, inducing into the system?
2: Well, I think that uh, part of our vulnerability is is as we have um, more big data, we have more connectivity, and so the uh, the problem we have is the system is no more secure than its weakest link. And so if we introduce new weak links into the system, we've given the attackers uh, new opportunities. Uh,
1: anything which is already not as secure, and then on top of it, you bring big data. What has it truly done? Has it made uh, the, the exact places where security could be the weakest
2: well, the uh, fundamental weakness that's in most uh, systems where the flaws occur are primarily the uh, operating system platforms that the systems are running on. And so as you introduce more platforms, more servers, workstations, et cetera, uh, into the uh, environment, each of those uh, becomes a, a part of the attack surface for an attacker. So when you're
1: looking at that particular instance where the operating systems, etc., there are many other things which people are trying to do. And yes, the hackers could on one end be trying to get into the system as, as someone pro, try, try to get some proprietary information. And another is that perhaps big data creates some sort of insight, which otherwise was not available. And now uh, it, the security is not primarily only at the operating system level, but also it could cause business loss. Is, is that yeah. one of the flavors that you think is possible or are we just kind of, uh, you know,
2: imagining this? Well, I, I think there's, At this point, big data is early enough that we don't have a large volume of reported uh, incidents based on big data, but that's not a surprise. Uh, After all, uh, people who may be stealing business data and and other things of that nature are not likely to advertise that so widely, so it may take us a while to discover. I think we uh, can see uh, sort of indications of what uh, can come about Uh, The items in the news, for example, uh, about uh, Mr. Snowden and the uh, analysis by NSA, one could quarrel and ask that and suggest that the NSA is using essentially big data. They're doing uh, analytics over large amounts of data, and they're taking data which previously taken individually would not have raised that much concern, but now taken all together, Uh, people uh, understand this is an issue. And so I think that's part of the problem uh, that you were alluding to uh, with big data. uh, We are making it more attractive uh, to attackers.
1: So... One thing is to say we have not enough reported incidents, and we really, in the world of security, always have been reactive and saying, okay, now we have a big problem, let's go and look for a solution. Do you think the security industry, as well as people who are working with big data from a business standpoint, are um, now buying that fear, if you will, like somebody would sell insurance, and ready to invest in proactively looking at where all big data can cause damage and start patching those uh, holes proactively?
2: Well, you're exactly right that the industry has been reactive, and this has been the case uh, for many years. And I think what we can see is that that reactive approach uh, simply doesn't work. But we continue to spend more and more money, billions of dollars to provide security solutions, and yet, if you pick up the paper, it's uh, fairly evident that we're not being that effective. Uh, so I don't believe that the security industry is at this point, particularly investing uh, in providing uh, proactive solutions. There are certainly things that can be done, even aside from big data uh, that we've known how to do for uh, decades that are simply not being uh, applied and to provide greater security. And, I think that's a serious problem that is not directly tied to big data, but big data gives us some opportunities to apply those proactive solutions, uh, if we chose. Uh, you say is the industry, uh, security industry going out and proactively developing solutions and selling it like insurance? Uh, no, my experience is that that's not the case really at all. Uh, I've been dealing with, uh, a number of people in that industry. The constant theme is that customers are not willing to, uh, significantly pay for, uh, <clears throat> strong security. Whether they're right or wrong, I believe that's generally held, uh, by the industry. And so the techniques, things that are called as verifiable protection, uh, is simply not available in any of the major offerings today.
1: So where do you think organizations should even look at when trying to get started with this? Should they look up to someone like you who's a thought leader and try to give them ideas or they should create, create a sandbox where they say if these are the areas in which vulnerabilities can happen and they try to get ethical hackers in the organization and see what they would do?
2: Well, I, I think that the solution has to come by the, from the people that uh, provide the products. In other words, the, the hardware and software that is used uh, in, in the actual operation of big data, uh, individual users, the customers of those vendors, are not in the position of uh, developing the solutions themselves. And so they have to depend on, on the vendors. The vendors uh, need to believe that there's a market. And today, and I think for some time, uh, they haven't seen uh, that as a market
1: so where should an organization go with all these uh, new things that you are trying to accomplish? Do you think the the management is looking at this proposition or, or uh, induction of fear within an organization or let's be cautious before we go too crazy with big data is to look at the security aspect and, and traditionally security has been seen to put a damper on innovation related initiative. And It's not a, maybe the reality, it's just perception that floats around.
2: So well, what do you think? Perception uh, security did, generally does not generate revenue, and uh, as a result, uh, <clears throat> it is not going to be enthusiastically uh, pursued unless uh, people are, are informed and see it as uh, important to their business success. Uh, the I think the first step you ask, what can businesses do? I think one of the most important steps is they need to identify what data is sensitive, and who should have access to that data. One of the challenges in big data is that it encourages the management to provide even greater access uh, to information than was previously the case. In order to get the benefits of big data, they need to be able to have access to lots of different uh, information. And that provides an incentive to make connections that were not previously there. Now, if you don't have in your organization a policy that identifies, essentially, uh, categorizes your data, is that, you know, this is accounts receivable, this is accounts payable, uh, this is HR data, if those kind of labels for the data are not there, then you don't have an easy way for people that are responsible for delivering it to say, oh, no, that, we don't really want to make that HR data available because that has sensitive, uh, privacy data in it, and people like NIST have for years been advocating that we need to categorize the data and do this, but yet many enterprises just simply have not got to the level of actually formally writing down a policy, assigning a label to the data and say, this is HR data, this is engineering data, and without that, uh, there's not a good guide.
1: So if you were to ask the business to say, tell me which all types of data or which all patterns would you think we should be uh, holding back or not try to put out there, are, are they willing to do that, though? Because they want to use it for business, but it also creates vulnerability. Who wins or who should win?
2: Well, uh the should win, who should win of course is a matter of individual business determination. I mean what's good for one business may not be uh, for another so that it is not just a philosophical discussion, it's ultimately uh, a, a business decision. The concern I think that I would have is that uh, the businesses are not well informed uh, today. One of the uh, issues with the uh, labeling because it allows us to provide rather strong solutions that says, okay, I can restrict the data flow from those that are authorized to have HR data to just, uh, and only those are the ones who are able to access the HR data. Without the labels, you can't do that. Now, going through that sort of a categorization and policy development does not itself generate any revenue. And so uh, if the uh, enterprise the leaders are not informed of the value of security, then no, the security will not win.
1: If you were to attribute this either perceived uh, threat due to big data or uh, it may be reality in some cases, maybe we don't have enough proof, what do you attribute this to? Is it the policies which may have we may have in an organization or the tools may not have the necessary finesse or, or the security built in or the overall adoption of whatever that you're offering to uh, your uh, user community which is using this big data and the responsibility portion is missing?
2: Well, I think the first step, the foundation, is the question of a policy. If you don't know what authorization... Uh, you, you intend to give to data, then you can't really uh, expect the or, people in the organization that have to execute to uh, properly control the flow of data. If the HR data is not identifiable, does not have a label on it, then it may well be included, even inadvertently, in data that is ex- used for uh, a big data uh, analytics. And so I think the first step is, to do what, you know, NIST is called the categorization of data, actually assigning a label to data and say this is sensitive and that's different than this sensitive data. That's the first step and I think the most important step. Without a policy, you can't know if you're succeeding. But the adoption, what do you do about that? In terms of adoption, I think one of the places where the, uh, <clears throat> security industry and the practitioners have seriously let down uh, the management is in the area of, uh, of awareness. Uh, for example, one of the more serious threats even uh, that certainly applies to the big data situation is the problem of uh, subversion, of people actually uh, getting in and building in trapdoors, building in backdoors uh, into the system at various points during the life cycle. And if you talk to a security practitioner and you say, oh, uh, is this a problem? Can people actually do this? Well, there's a thing called Easter eggs, which represent hidden functions uh, that are in products. So, for example, Excel several generations back, uh, Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, if you were to hit four keys, you could suddenly be playing Flight Simulator. Now, <clears throat> that represented a, uh, an Easter egg, as it is called, an additional functionality that was not put there by the product manager. Well, if you go on the Internet, you can find thousands of products that have those kind of keystrokes in them. None of the ones that are listed, of course, are malicious. But the point is that those same techniques of subversion can be used by uh, attackers. In the security community, people say, I talk to uh, the security officer, and they say, oh, well, yes, of course we understand uh, that's a problem. Uh, you talk to executives otherwise in the organization, and they largely have never heard, of the problem of subversion. And the reason it is uh, important why I single out that one, the area of subversion is essentially one that cannot be significantly addressed by the proactive or the reactive approach you're talking about. You can't necessarily uh, easily spot that it's being used, and therefore you can't uh, provide a defense against it. So there's a problem of the security professionals simply not making the management aware. I've talked to, uh, chief information security officers say, have you told your boss and your boss's boss about this? In general, the answer is no. Uh, You ask, why not? The essence of the answer is, it's not a career-enhancing move to tell your boss you have a problem and say you don't have a solution.
1: Very interesting. Uh, Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and continue this discussion and then also look at that Perhaps the CISO goes and tells the boss and the boss's boss. And the policies get uh, drafted and then perhaps put out there for adoption. But adoption doesn't happen because most of the time the very end user who should be having a responsibility to uh, as a custodian of the data or the insights that they are gathering as part of Big Data Initiative, what tells them to really not do it? And what is the difference between them recognizing what is actually critical, and that could be used against uh, the security. And the other aspect of it is uh, what they what they cannot really determine what is secure versus not. So how do you how do you go about this adoption challenge? Please uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore.
3: The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google lead the charge portal.
4: Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th-century phone system out of your 21st-century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com.
0: HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All, to learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Joke All.
1: Welcome back. So, uh, Roger, as we uh, were discussing and you interestingly mentioned about CISOs not going and divulging and or sharing with their boss and the boss's boss that uh, the, about this problem of big data could cause potential issues because they don't have a solution. But does that really help the cause? Because they will definitely get fired if the problem gets out of hand and they have not kept people informed.
2: Well, one of the uh, beliefs that people have, and I think it's well-founded, is that if they're adopting what people call best practice, then they're not probably going to get uh, fired. In other words, if everybody is equally bad, uh, as long as they're doing the best practice, then the CISOs are generally uh, in pretty good shape. And that's regardless of whether or not the best practice is working. The situation we have today is that the best practice that we have simply doesn't address uh, the problem of subversion of anyone that is reasonably determined to get the data. And yet, as long as everybody has codified this best practice, uh, they're re- relatively protected. In fact, uh, the current activities by the government, are, and including the legislature, are focused on providing incentives for people to use best practice. Yet what we see is best practice isn't particularly working and isn't going to work any better as we apply it in a, in a big data context. So I think that there there's some reason for their uh, choice not to discuss this uh, with the senior management because, indeed, uh, they're doing best practice. And well, we're all doing this uh, together. And yes, uh, hackers do get in; they always get in. Security's not perfect, uh, and all that's true. Uh, but it doesn't. Uh, they also can rationalize the situation and say, "Well, what good does it do me to tell my boss that, that we have this problem when well, it really isn't my problem?" It's a problem of the industry, and why should I take the fall uh, because the security vendors have not provided adequate uh, solutions. So I think it's very difficult to get people to, to do it at that level. The thing that can make a difference, I believe, is that there can be uh, leadership to uh, show the way uh, to do it in a better fashion. The government, for example, has uh, in the past – Provided significant contributions in the security area by essentially uh, b- being in a leadership position of demonstrating how to do it uh, correctly. One of the things they can do is so-called reference implementations. They can give an actual example of using uh, these uh, strong solutions of verifiable protection. Unfortunately, in recent years, that has simply not been part of what is being done on any significant basis.
1: No, you mentioned that CISOs uh, may not take the responsibility or want to take the responsibility. But what, what then be, what should be then said about such security leaders to kind of say that this is not my problem, so I'm not going to uh, inform the rest of the world?
2: Well, I think there's several levels of uh, 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 of leadership in an individual organization. As I mentioned earlier, the individual CISO can't do a great deal about providing more effective solutions. They can't encourage the management to do the proper thing in terms of, say, a policy. I mean, one of the things that a policy can tell you, if you've identified and categorized your data, you can simply say, I'm not going to provide connectivity. We just simply will not allow a connection between uh, point A and point B. Uh, there are certainly enterprises with sensitive data in which they apply a technique called air gap, which says there's just no electrical connection from these servers to that servers. The ones that are, they're not depending on firewalls, they're not depending on any of the sort of typical solutions that are not all that effective. Uh, they simply just don't connect it. And so the, uh, security folks can do that. They can, uh, encourage a policy which identifies when connection just simply shouldn't be uh, identified at all. I think that, the, in fact, I'm uh, currently in the process of talking to a group which is looking at a policy relating to data. And what the organization reflects is that the people in the organization see security and see uh, new rules in terms of policy as uh, impeding Uh, their ability to to do their job. And so it really takes senior management commitment to say, yes, we are going to engage in a data categorization policy and we're going to apply it to our enterprise.
1: So the way big data is expected to work, you collect data, you uh, then try to sift through and try to identify patterns. Out of that, you do analytics, and then from there you develop insights. So if you were yes. to take these four processes, four, four steps in terms of being able to do that, where do you think the vulnerability
2: gets introduced? Well, I think the most serious vulnerability gets introduced in the first uh, place when you talk about collect data. And the reason is that you provide incentive with big data to uh, open up the connections to additional data so that you can get additional insights for, for your business advantage. And so as you uh, make more connections, as you provide additional interconnections, that becomes the first place of a major introduction of vulnerabilities. From the attacker's point of view, it's easier. You've now made, if I can attack a single place uh, in the uh, processing of that data, I can get access to the entire enterprise and all the things that are connected. So the first step of collecting the data, which implies the interconnection, is is a very serious uh, vulnerability that gets introduced.
1: Now, if I were to go out and try to identify uh, things I can do differently in terms of safeguarding the data and the corresponding or, or reduce the vulnerabilities at each of these steps, what would be my countermeasures which have proven to at least uh, show signs of uh, reducing the vulnerabilities that might otherwise exist?
2: Well, I think that the issue of, of a policy has been proven to reduce the vulnerabilities rather significantly. Uh, if you take a probably the most well-known policy of that form is the, uh, the U.S. government has an executive order uh, which says that, you, uh, that within the government – it must be classified as to the damage it would result from uh, exposing that data. Those classifications have name of top secret, secret, confidential, and then unclassified, of course. Well, those are four categories of data, and every piece of data that is generated inside uh, the executive branch of the, of the U.S. government <laughs> uh, has to bear, uh, either implicitly in the case of unclassified or explicitly in terms of the others, a label, that says this is secret data, and that's proven quite effective in the large uh, in protecting very sensitive data from being exposed. If you didn't have that categorization, they'd have a massive uh, additional kind of leak. So I think that that notion of a policy and the labeling of policy is one that has been demonstrated to work and has been demonstrated to be, you know, not free but not excessively uh, costly to implement
1: let's take a quick break listeners uh, we will be right back and look at further what is it that the environment that is required in an organization for it to foster a better secure uh, secure approach to handling big data one is of course we look at specific steps in the process of using or generating the big data related insights. Another is the environment that we offer in which by design, we are making sure that we've created uh, a safe haven for uh, the big data related insights. What would that look like? What's the ideal state and how far are we from it? Please stay tuned, we'll be right back and explore.
0: HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud.
3: The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google lead the charge portal.
4: The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes, and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com.
1: Welcome back. So, uh, Roger, when uh, you you actually started the whole process of defining through the four steps of how big data takes shape in an organization, what do you do with data collection? Let's finish the rest, and then we will look at also the environmental factors, which may play a part.
2: The first step, of course, of collection, I talked about uh, the the problem of the importance of uh, policy and deciding to limit uh, where you co- allow collection to occur from. The second is in terms of the uh, defining the patterns and determining the relevance of the data. And that obviously involves processing uh, of, of the data. And that processing has to occur in the context of data that in many cases is essentially real-time or semi-real-time. In other words, you're connect to your uh, collection points at the time that you're actually looking for the patterns as the data is, is available. And there the vulnerabilities come about from the uh, pl- platforms, the actual hardware and software that it runs, because this uh, processing goes on on a computer, and if that uh, computer is subverted, if those tools, those big data tools, in fact, have in them uh, additional uh, capabilities put there by an adversary, they can collect the data and send it off to uh, <clears throat> the attacker in a hidden sort of way, in many cases, uh, so that you don't even uh, know that. So the uh, the value to the attacker of the analysis, the pattern recognition, is that there may be patterns that they would like to think, information they would like to learn. And so they can, in fact, uh, by subversion, just as I might add a, a flight simulator inside of Excel, I can add a, an additional criteria that the attacker would like to have uh, addressed in looking for a pattern. And, send that information uh, to the attacker. Then in terms of developing the insights as the third step after that, well, uh, as you apply analytics and, and other tools to uh, develop the insights about the data, in some cases uh, your adversary may just simply not want you to uh, know, uh, to determine the, the insights that are there for them. Uh I suppose the limit case is the one that you're going to talk about uh, next week, is uh, if I'm using these tools to actually identify potential vulnerabilities in the system from a security point of view, I may in fact uh, uh, bias the analysis so that the insight never identifies the vulnerabilities that I'm responsible for as an attacker. So each of those bring with them a, a, a vulnerability, and those vulnerabilities can be responded to uh, in many cases uh, significantly, by uh, both policy, organizationally, and technology. So
1: if you were to look at all of those areas, when you talk about, and, and that's what was one of the questions that I'd asked before we just went to break, is the environmental factors. So you go and look at each step and try to pinpoint where all things could happen, which would be adversely impacting or introduce vulnerabilities. What other factors surrounding these four steps we need to be uh, aware of and or work war work with in order for us to make it a secure overall secure environment in which big data can go about doing its job in terms of providing business insights and also not uh, introduce vulnerabilities
2: so in terms of what a uh, sort of an ideal answer the situation would be first of course as i've noted is you have to have a policy you have to say who has access to what data, the data is labeled, the users are authorized access to data. That you have to start with. If you don't have that, you don't know whether you've succeeded. Secondly, as you talk about uh, organizing the way the collection is done for big data, one of the techniques that can provide value is to uh, isolate the points at which you have what you might call different security domains, different Uh, authorized data. So if the policy has identified HR data and separated that from engineering data, then for big data, I may want to have access to both of those under some cases, but the access between them should be at well-defined cross-domain sort of points. And organizing my architecture so that the connection between security domains is at well-known points is a very powerful tool. So in an ideal solution, the only connection between security domains should be at known and identified uh, cross-domain points as opposed to just letting it sort of happen in a spontaneous way in which says, oh, I'd like to get at that server. Let me make a connection over there. Let me make a connection over here in in an ad hoc way. So the second step after a policy is to have an architecture, a security architecture, which recognizes the points where failures are particularly significant, and that's the point where uh, domains meet. The... Uh, third step that I need uh, to do is when I'm doing the processing and I'm providing the outputs, I need to uh, be concerned that that processing, that the vulnerabilities in those tools not uh, introduce uh, new attack services for the attacker. And that's a matter of using strong technology. And this is where I think the industry is weakest, is that we simply haven't used the Kind of verifiable protection that is available. I mean, things that the, the, again, the government as an example has in the past had operating systems and platforms which have run for 15 years and never ever had a security patch. And they were confident they never would have a security patch or they wouldn't have done it because the consequences of compromising things like top secret data. Those kind of techniques of the, the verifiable protection are available to the vendors To people who are building security products. I talked to one of the, you know, very leading people in this uh, space, in in the Internet space, and after going over this, their engineers agreed, yes, we could provide products would have that sort of verifiable protection. But their statement was, quote, we mean something different by security than you mean, unquote. What that meant was that when I talked about security, I wanted to have a fairly robust uh, thing that has significantly addressed the problem, including subversion. What they meant by security was one that meant their made their products uh, competitive as far as they saw it in the marketplace. So you
1: explained, uh, you know, what people should be doing. Do you have a current state? If you were to rank at each of those stages of how big data comes into creating value uh, or creates value, do you do you have a current benchmark that you could? Unofficially or based on your experience, could could uh, share that where, where do we stand with this?
2: Well, uh, my crystal ball is broken, but uh, I I'm afraid that my I'm not very optimistic because one of the things I see in general, as you introduce a new area of technology such as uh, big data, is the early choices tend to set the direction that you're going to go uh, in, in the future. And the current direction we have is we do not have a direction which is based on policy. We do not have a direction which is based on a security architecture that represents these things, and we do not have a direction which provides uh, strong solutions. And so I think that the prospects are rather uh, uh, dismal. Uh, I think people uh, having in the government have con- commented that the security area is potentially what they call an existential problem. In other words, the very basis for Our society, as we know it, could be put at risk if we don't do something about it, and yet we are not doing anything uh, significant about it. So I'm afraid um, my answer is not the one I would like. But the crystal ball is that unless we take action soon, uh, we're likely to have a very serious problem as a result of lack of security in big data.
1: So you painted not the, the, the most optimistic picture and totally understand that you're being realistic. On the other hand, uh, we have big data being utilized for literally people are betting their paychecks and their businesses on big data. If we are going to go ahead and try to bet our paychecks and really try to build a, a credible case for big data in the first place and then actually start using it, we are introducing a bug in the system because you mentioned that we don't have a complete uh, control and or even in some cases idea of how we will go about reducing the vulnerabilities so should we wait for success but at the same time disaster to happen for people to open up their eyes and invest more or is it actually is, is it even the question of getting investment in or even though people would put millions of dollars to you know plug the holes they don't even know whether where the holes are or perhaps they will not be able to plug the holes.
2: Well, I think that there are several things we can uh, do. I mean, one of the issues is one of, as you've noted several times, the the factor of making people informed, having them make informed decisions. And I think the key is to make informed decisions. It is unrealistic and, and, and not necessarily sound to say, oh, well, I'm just not going to use big data until – uh, I have the answers in place. No, that isn't going to happen. What you would like to have is that people make an informed decision. So there's a couple of things that can contribute to that. One of the things is in terms of the practitioners, they we need to have people that are familiar with the available uh, technology and the, the industry at whole. Well. Uh, for example, one of the reasons we at uh, University of Southern California have uh, just this year introduced a Master's in Cybersecurity as a fully accredited master's program in cybersecurity, Now, having students that uh, attend that and getting graduates of, this, of that area can help an organization uh, be much better informed. In fact, in that area of making people available, one of the things we do at uh, USC is we provide uh, distance education opportunities so that students can, in fact, register and enroll in the program and take it while they're maintaining the job and maybe take a course or two uh, each semester as they're going along on a a part-time basis. So those are things which can contribute to uh, informing people, and I think that's an important step. Uh, You ask about, well, what kind of investments can I make in terms of if I had millions of dollars, would it make a difference? No, if I just throw millions of dollars at it, it won't make a difference. What we can do, however, what I believe does make a difference and has worked in the past is what I've mentioned before as reference implementations. I can actually build an example of using this uh, sound technology uh, to provide protection, and then that can raise the bar. People can understand what to do. That can engage the vendors to do something. Now, those reference implementations take significant, you uh, a few million dollars, not hundreds of millions of dollars, but several millions of dollars to build a significant reference uh, implementation. So most enterprises are not going to do that for the benefit of the industry. It's one of the areas where I believe the government, for example, can serve in a leadership role, could actually spend a a few million dollars and do some reference implementations to show how to do it rather than just jawboning people with their their cybersecurity uh, direction.
1: Discussed about this earlier in our conversation that CISOs, uh, may not have a ready solution, but given their role and their experience as security professionals, are they actually going and looking under the hood a little bit to figure out where all things can be? Do they have a current state or at least some sort of an action plan to, to figure out what they're going to do?
2: Uh, I think that because of this pattern of uh, trying to meet best practice and say that's good enough. Uh, unfortunately, uh, many CIOs do not have a, a, an action plan. Uh, they recognize that from a technology point of view, uh, they do not build the hardware and software that they have to use. And so they're depending on the industry uh, to, to do this. And if the vendors are not providing those capabilities, uh, they feel rather hopeless. And so, The result, in many cases, is they sort of lock up and they say, well, okay, this is the best we can do. We're just going to do what everybody else does. We're going to do the best practice. So, no, I don't believe that most CISOs uh, have uh, uh, an action plan. Uh, And the things that they can do, however, are, as I've mentioned, they can stimulate the definition of the policy, and they can stimulate in their organization the definition of a security architecture that actually identifies where information crosses the the, the security domains. Those are things they can do, and I find that is not widely done by CISOs today. So if they're not doing
1: it, is it something, again, preventing them, or is it their mindset that why to fight a, a lost war or a, a war that they are not going to win?
2: Well, I'm not a sociologist, so I don't know what uh, necessarily motivates people, but I do think there is a certain uh, sense in which... Uh, there is sort of a giving up that says, I really don't have a solution to the problem of subversion. Uh subversion of the uh, uh, platforms is probably the choice of attack of a serious adversary. And if I can't address what's the most likely uh, effective attack, uh, what am I supposed to do? And so I think they really do uh, tend to, to hunker down, but that's just observation. I, I, I obviously am not a sociologist. Let's
1: take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's look at uh, the situation where we are today and then how this could perhaps get compounded uh, in the future. So if we don't have our act together, we don't know what the approach is going to be, we don't have any best practices. What is that going to do uh, or how how is that going to improve or worsen given that big data itself is evolving? We are trying to do new and bigger and better things with it in order to generate revenue opportunities and innovation. So are we going to try to work with this moving target in the same fashion and always try to play catch up? Or is there going to be some uh, light at the end of the tunnel? So please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore.
4: Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com.
3: The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google, lead the charge portal.
0: HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud.
4: The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com.
0: You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll free at 1 866 472 5790. That number again is 1 866 472 5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Joke All. Welcome back.
1: So, uh, Roger, do you think we will keep chasing this moving target, or is there is some light at the end of the tunnel?
2: Well, I think there is a potential light at the end of the tunnel if we choose to uh, continue and, and pursue a better directions. Uh, I think there are things that can be done that enable us to take advantage of better solutions as they come about. The first and foremost one I've mentioned is one of a categorization policy. Uh I think an enterprise uh it's just essential as they're going to deal with big data that they provide essentially labeled categorizations of each of the components of data. This is HR data, this is engineering data, this is the financial accounts receivable data and That data uh, should be identified and labeled, and they should establish a corporate-wide policy that data will be labeled uh, either implicitly or explicitly in terms of its uh, sensitivity and impact on the organization. So that's something that every organization can do that. They can't blame the vendors. They can't blame the attackers for that. That's their choice. Second thing they can do is they can uh, construct a security architecture and say, okay, (laughs) How do I restrict the places where I have interfaces between domains, whether the domain is the Internet on the outside and my intranet on that inside or wherever it is, how do I know uh, where those meet? And I can do an architecture which identifies those so that as better solutions are available, uh, I can apply them where they matter most, and that's at those uh, cross-domain points. That's an architectural thing, and, again, they can do that. Third thing, they can take the opportunity to get themselves educated. They can recognize that there is uh, science and places like USC and other universities provide that, and they can make it a priority to either add the education to their existing staff or to acquire staff that have that uh, background. And so I think the educational community has an important role uh, uh, to play in that, and people need to uh, show that uh, they do that and that they care by requiring those kind of capabilities. Fourth, I think that, uh, since we do have such a uh, sorry state of affairs in terms of the security of the products that are available, in particular the hardware and software platforms and their vulnerabilities, I think it's, uh, since the industry people say, well, there's no incentive, people won't pay for security, they can begin as a group to encourage uh, the vendors to do that by making strong security a uh, purchase requirement for items that are critical. You don't try and boil the ocean, but where you have these cross-domain uh, places, if you have an architecture that identifies that, you say, okay, if I'm going to connect between these places, that connection has to be done on a verifiably secure uh, platform, one that is not going to have uh, the, the weekly security patches is after the horse is uh, out of the barn. So those are all actions which people can take uh, today and can, in fact, provide a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I see very few of those actually being acted on today, and if we don't, the alternative is, is a sorry uh, state of affairs.
1: Now, finally, for the CISOs, what type of advice would you have for them to really stand up for what is right for the organization and be able to show the leadership that they are expected to in their in their respective domains and uh, make sure that whatever they are going to do, they will eventually make sure that big data is no longer going to be something that they'll have to live with and they cannot secure it?
2: Well, I think I I sympathize with the CISOs who are concerned about uh, their job security, but I think that by engaging the executive uh, suite in the question of a policy, they can then work together to solve the problem because this is not something the CISO can do. This requires the corporate-wide commitment to identify and categorize the data and identify who has access to, to which data. By going in that direction, they then have a shared responsibility, and then it becomes more reasonable for them to talk about the flaws that exist, the threat of subversion, for example, to say, we need to have this policy so we know where we can, in fact, uh, are vulnerable to that sort of a threat, and so we can look for products that do it, deal with that. So I think that the although they can't do the policy, they can encourage those sort of a corporate-wide uh, direction. That's an action they can take.
1: On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Roger, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations and the technology leaders as working with the security leaders like CISOs could work with big data and don't let the security challenges get any bigger. And if they do, then they work together to make them more manageable. Thank you so much again.
2: Well, you're certainly welcome. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.
0: CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.